Welcome to New Mexico People, Places, and Ideas. I'm Stephen Spitz. Today we are honored to have as our guest a world-renowned architect, Albuquerque's own Bart Prince. Bart Prince has too many honors and awards to name, and his views are just as provocative as his houses. Just think of his oblong-shaped studio residence built in 1983 that Albuquerqueans like to call the spaceship. Bart Prince, welcome to the program. Thank you. Good to be here. Bart, you know, uh, there's so many things I, I'd like to talk to you about. Um, the basis for your design for your studio residence, your, uh, where your ideas come from, your views of New Mexico architecture, all those things. But I think your personal history is just as fascinating in how you came to architecture because it's almost as if architecture picked you instead of you picking architecture. Well, it's hard to know. I There was something in me, I suppose, that made me interested in this. I, I didn't know any architects. We didn't have any architects in the family. But from a very early age, I was interested in building design and, and uh, building things, making whatever it was, models, and trying to put my ideas into some kind of... Uh, visible form. You, so, you, you sort of had a little garage shop where you'd like to hang Well, in. and then later on, I mean, but when, when I was six and seven years old, I was making things out of whatever I could get, shoe boxes or things that were left over. The, one of my favorite things were, were these um, cardboard inserts that the dry cleaners put into my dad's shirts. So I looked forward to getting those because that was a great material to use. And what I, did you make? I made all kinds of things. I made uh, I made up designs. I made up ideas for buildings. I I once kind of made a an entire little community, just starting with you know one building and then another and streets. I mean, I didn't know what I was doing, of course, at that age. But uh, I I don't know. There was something that was just uh, you know somehow a part of me. So by the time you're in high school, you're you're already designing. Helping uh, designing for contractor houses. Well, by the time I I was in high school, I guess well before that, I was I had kind of taken over the garage, and uh, that's where you could find me as soon as I got out of school. And I don't know, I was just uh, sort of self motivated and always very busy, working on whatever was coming to mind, and I couldn't wait to get back to it. And sometimes I would sneak back out there after. Everyone went to bed <laughs> until I got caught. You know, I get back out there and see if I could finish up something I was working on. Well, this designing of houses uh, in high school really resonates with me because one of my summer jobs was uh, at an architectural firm. Oh. And I started as a messenger, and by the end of the summer, I was still a messenger. Oh. So I, <laughs> I was not designing houses. <laughs> well, I, I guess that would be probably the case with most young people in, in an office of some kind, you know, when they're just – trying to help out, but uh, I we had a, a neighbor, who uh, Fred Hill, who was a contractor building houses around the area where we lived, and uh, I used to spend all the time I, I could uh, between school and then what I was doing on my projects in the garage, I'd spend on those job sites, and, you know, they'd shoo me away, but then I'd come back and offer to clean up or whatever I could do so I could be there and watch what was going on. And and at some point, he showed me a lot that he had, and he said, well, why don't you make up a design for, for this? And 
so it was it was I just loved what I was doing, so I couldn't wait to you know try my hand at things like that. And, and by the t- you decided to go to college and to and to go to the architectural school. Well, at I, the college, right? Yeah, I was uh, I was taking all the courses I could in high school, drafting and shop and things that had to do with the things I was interested in. I was also interested in music. And then, uh, uh, of course, in high school, it was mostly things like uh, drafting class, that architectural drafting, I think they called it. Um, I didn't know really what an architect was, you know, when I was younger. And uh, I think when I was about in the seventh grade, my teacher uh, had a uh, yearly deal where he'd take a hat with little strips of paper <clears throat> with people's names written on them and pass it around. You'd reach in and pick out a, you know, whichever one you got. And then who did you pick? I, I ended up with Frank Lloyd Wright, <laughs> just by chance. I didn't know who that was, and so here I saw this name. And what's amazing is that you're so connected with Frank Lloyd Wright, and, and you just gave a, a, le- a Frank Lloyd Wright lecture just, uh, what, this week? <laughs> well, just a few days ago up in, in Madison, Wisconsin. That's what they call the Frank Lloyd Wright Lecture Series, where they invite architects you know, from around the world to come in and talk. Well, that was the first I had ever heard his name, you know, when, as I said, sixth or seventh grade. And I was amazed when I found out that this was what an architect was. You know, went out. And what you've been doing as a, as a kid, just playing, it ends up being an architect. <laughs> well, it was it was drawing and building and construction, and and what I learned was that buildings uh, don't just happen; that they have somebody uh, behind them. There's a, an idea and a person behind them that's called an architect, and so uh, that, of course, when I saw. His work, he was still alive at that time, but uh, uh, getting toward, very much toward the end of his life, I was amazed, you know, what I saw because it was actually much more interesting, more beautiful than anything I'd been seeing around here. And, uh, you know, it was just very mysterious and unusual work as far as I was concerned. And so I was interested in learning more about it. But I also realized that, uh, you know, a, a friend of mine later years, a f- famous architect, Bruce Goff, had uh, become a lifelong friend of Frank Lloyd Wright's, and he, at an early age, saw Wright's work in a magazine, and he said, he was about 12 at the time, and he said he was both uh, exhilarated and depressed exhilarated because he'd never seen anything so beautiful, but depressed because it looked like everything he liked was already built. And that's kind of (laughs) what I remember thinking, you know, what else could you do uh, looking at all this beautiful work? So it was a great uh, inspiration. And and in later years, as I began to study architecture um, seriously and and, uh, went to Arizona State University, in the architecture school, I I realized, of course, that you have to find your own way. You know, you can't uh, imitate anybody else if you're really going to do creative architecture. So Wright became uh, sort of a an, an inspirational 
uh, figure in terms of respecting and enjoying what he did, but also realizing that uh, he worked on an individual basis and created you know new works with each client he came came across. Well, you know, I want to return to this theme of architecture picking you because you're doing this, you're designing your own little buildings as a kid. You pick Wright's name out of a hat. <laughs> you end up living next to a contractor who asks you to design some buildings. And then you go to Arizona State ASU, and you mentioned Bruce Goff. And Bruce Goff at that time was a, a well-known but controversial architect. And you end up having this chance encounter with Bruce Goff that ends up being, uh, it, it, at least it seems to me, life-changing for you. Well, he came to, to the school to give a talk. And uh, I, I didn't know much about him at that time. I knew a little bit about about him, but he was, you know, he was somebody that lived in Kansas City at that time, and he was going to be giving a lecture one evening. And the day of the lecture, as is often the case, as happens with me now, when I am, am invited to schools, the students will take you around and show you things, show you projects and drawings and things around the school, and that's what they were doing with him. And every time he he saw a drawing that interested him, he'd ask, who did this? And they kept saying, well, that's Bart Prince. And finally, he, he asked one of the students if he knew uh, where I could be found, and so the student brought him over to the place where I was living at the time, and and it was one of these situations, you know, as as students' living conditions are, where about ten of us <laughs> were all living in one house, and they came to the door, and some someone else answered the door. And uh, behind the uh, person that answered the door was a big model of mine leaning up against the wall. And before uh, it was, and it was Bruce Goff, and this student that was taking him around before. He could say anything. Goff saw that model, and he says, I want to meet the person that designed that. <laughs> and that's sort of, <laughs> sort of how it started. You, you, you end up eventually, after you graduate, working for Bruce Goff, right? Well, yeah, even before then. I went to work uh, with him in, in uh, Kansas City that summer, you know, between my fourth and fifth year of, of school. And so... Um, this was just before Christmas um, in 1968 that I met him when he gave this talk. So I went to work for him that next summer, and then uh, I graduated and then went, went back and worked with him after that. Um, if you've just tuned in, this is New Mexico People, Places, and Ideas. My name is Stephen Spitz. And we're very pleased to have in the studio a world-renowned architect, Albuquerque's own Bart Prince. And we're talking about uh, Mr. Prince's early life and experience now with Bruce Goff. And what was it about Bruce Goff that made him so controversial? Well, he was, I mean, what, what interested me was were the same kinds of things that interested me in Wright when I first saw his work. Because here was somebody doing very interesting, unusual, and creative work. He wasn't imitating anybody else. He wasn't imitating himself. You know, he, he wasn't replicating his prior buildings. Right. And and with Goff, it was particularly interesting because, as I said earlier, uh, 
seen Wright's work, uh, this very strong body of work, and you know, when you're a young person or even even somebody that hasn't uh, seen it before, but who's older, it's a it's a tremendous uh, amount of work that you see all at one time, and it does look like there's not much room left for anybody else, you know. And and here was Bruce Goff, who had known Wright most of his life and had be had been. A good friend of his. He never worked for him, but he uh, associated with him, you know, and visited him and those kinds of things. And um, and here was uh, Goff doing very unique and individual work of his own, not imitative of Wright. In years uh, later, I met Wright's oldest son, Lloyd Wright, whose actual name was Frank Lloyd Wright Jr., but he realized he he wasn't that would be, be a tough act be able to operate right, with that. So right. <laughs> uh, he went by Lloyd, and and a very fine architect uh, on his own. I mean, he you know he was definitely under the shadow uh, of his father. But um, there was another example of somebody, despite this very strong person, you know, who they admired and who you know the, essentially they had learned from. Lloyd and Goff both were able to go on and and do their own work that was not just imitative, but you know, in, in a sense, what I realized is they had learned something about the principles behind the work and how to work, how to approach design, w- which allowed them to, you know, do their own individual work and not just have it be, you know, a little baby rights. You 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 end up uh, working on a building, uh, the Japanese Pavilion at the Los Angeles County Museum of Art with Goff. Um, that be, that's one of the you know, what, that's one of the major architectural buildings here in the United States. Um, and you know, if listeners want to take a look at it, they can just you know put you know look it up on the internet. And 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 you end up getting hired by someone named Joe Price. Mm-hmm. Um, can you can you talk a little bit about that about that work and, and your work on that building? Well, the the price connection actually started years before, when Bruce Goff was chairman of the School of Architecture at Oklahoma at the University of Oklahoma. Joe Price and his brother were students there, and uh, his, their father uh, owned a, the Price uh, Pipeline Company. And they made uh, built oil well uh, oil pipeline and oil well pipeline, and his father wanted to build a little office building up in uh, north of Oklahoma City in Bartlesville, and so one day Joe came in to see Bruce Goff, who was chairman of the school there, and he said, "My father wants to build this building, and I wonder if you'd be interested in designing it because Joe." had admired Goff's work and particularly liked the unusual nature of it. And Goff said, well, he was kind of busy at the time. He said, I think you need to get Frank Lloyd Wright. And Joe knew who that was, but he said, well, he'd never be interested in working for us. And Goff said, oh, I'll get in touch with him, and I'm sure he would. And so Goff put the prices and Wright together. Joe always told the story that uh, his father wanted to build a three-story building. Wright wanted to build a 21-story building. 
they finally compromised and uh, or uh, they finally compromised, built a 19-story building. So uh, that it, was is that, that was, how it worked with architecture? <laughs> no, no, that's how it, that's how it worked with Wright. He had an idea of something he wanted to do there. I see. At any rate, um, that was the beginning of the connection of of Price with Goff, and then Goff uh, connecting them to Wright, and then in, in later years, Wright did a house for. Joe's brother, and he did another house for Joe's parents in Phoenix, and later Goff did a house for Joe Price. Um, the Japanese Pavilion was a project that uh, around 1978, uh, Bruce Goff and, and I went to see Joe Price in Bartlesville to discuss this museum that Joe wanted to build for his own Japanese art collection. And at that time, he was thinking of building it in Bartlesville on the property he had there. And so over the next several years, uh, designs and drawings were made, and we went back and forth on this. And then uh, as it got to be oh, around 1982, Joe was deciding that maybe instead of building on, on his Oklahoma property, which was rather inaccessible and kind of hard to get to, for scholars and people wanting to study the art, that it would be a good idea to somehow connect this with an existing facility somewhere. So he looked all around the world and finally ended up with the L.A. County Museum. And But just at, at this same time, Mr. Goff died around this same time. So actually before we even finalized things with the L.A. County Museum, uh, Mr. Goff died. And at that time, we had a schematic plan. We had a floor plan and an elevation just sort of outlining what this building was going to be like. So I went from there and, and uh, taking the new site and the, and the new requirements that the museum brought into the picture, took this design that we had at that point and, and did the drawings and supervised the construction to get this built. Well, you know, if there's anything about that museum that, that people seem to, to love, it, it's the translucent panels. Because what, what they love about the museum is their ability to actually see the Japanese art objects in, in original light, in natural mm -hmm. light. Well, and that was the problem. I mean, that's one of the things that, that actually uh, connects all this work that we're talking about is the idea that the building results uh, from responses to the actual problem instead of being some kind of a preconception uh, that's uh, forced onto the situation. The design grows from the problem itself. And in the case of the Japanese pavilion, uh, Joe Price you know, had this collection of Japanese work which he had been, you know, buying for years and years. Prints and scrolls and all kinds of... Yeah, mostly screens and scrolls. And, mm -hmm. and uh, Jacques Chuito uh, was one of the artists whose work he very much admired. And, and these works were originally painted uh, to be seen in the changing light and the natural light in a typical Japanese house coming through the, the translucent shoji screens. And so Joe's thought was that that's how the work ought to be seen. And, and in a museum, he didn't want it to be seen um, in 
natu- in unnatural light, in artificial light. And he, he as in most museums. As in most museums. Because you he, need to protect the art. Yeah, and he didn't want it to see, be seen behind glass because of the reflection. So the building design was, was a response to this problem. How can you show this art and protect it from, from the public, keep it safe, and, and have it be seen in the same kind of changing light conditions as it was in Japan? So it, and of course it had to be a contemporary or modern expression of this uh, idea. You know, we couldn't have paper walls and, you know, we couldn't make it literally uh, a Japanese house. You know, we had to, we had to provide something that, uh, that answered all these requirements and yet did it in a way uh, that would work for a public building such as this. Well, if you've just joined us, this is New Mexico People, Places, and Ideas. My name is Stephen Spitz, and we're very pleased to have in the studio Bart Prince, uh, internationally renowned architect. And we're just talking with uh, with Bart about the Japanese pavilion. And when when you start working on this Japanese pavilion, you sort of take then Goff's role in finishing it. You work for a client that had hired Wright. You get anointed, so to speak as sort of the head of the American school, the head of <laughs> organic architecture. And these are terms that you kind of resist this kind yeah, of I don't, uh, yeah, I don't know uh, title. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, th- these these labels and things kind of come from, you know, they're kind of applied from the outside. And, and uh, you know, historians and people that are writing about architecture need terms to use when they're trying to talk about uh, the work, when, you know, whether they're writing about it or talking to others, so they come up with these terms. And I don't know. I mean, the uh, the work on that building was a natural progression. I mean, Goff and I had intended to be working on it together, and you know, we had no idea that he was going to pass away when he did. And at the time he he died. The design wasn't really even quite finished. It was a design for another site. It was very schematic at that point, you know, very small drawings. And yet it outlined the idea very clearly. It only took a few drawings to show what the intent was. And so uh, the the situation required, um, you know, taking the situation on another site with an existing building and essentially uh, adding this to that property as a pavilion. So it was a freestanding building connected with uh, walkways to the existing facility. Yeah, but very dramatic walkways. Yeah, well. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's let's talk about a building that I think most Albuquerqueans are familiar with, most New Mexicans, and that is your personal office residence that you built, I think, in 1983 on, on Monte Vista Avenue, right near the UNN, UNM campus. And, and for most of your work, you can say, you know, there, there were client requirements or there were client desires that really sort of had a major role in, in, in the shape and form of the building. But since you were doing this for yourself, you, you can't really say this in the case of your uh, office residence, right? Well, it's the same. For me, it's the same process. I mean, it's just the same as if a a client comes to me with a site 
and uh, specific requirements. I always start, I like to start completely fresh each time. So I like to begin completely from scratch with each new client and find out all I can about the site and the situation and the individuals, all the people involved. Well, I did the same thing working on this project for myself. I needed to to be responsive to the site conditions, which had to do with the shape of the site and the orientation, the uh, zoning situation, height requirements, setbacks, things like that. And then even in terms of my own needs, I am essentially trying to create a response to what I know I need, I mean, in terms of a building. So this is quite different than coming into something with a preconception where I say, you know, had an idea that was in my mind for 10 years, one of these days I want to build this, <laughs> and I'm going to force it onto whatever site I, I find. You know, that's how many buildings come about. Whereas in, in the case with the house I was doing for myself, I didn't know what it was going to be until I started working on it. Host Stephen Spitz speaking with architect Bart Prince. Tune in at 8 a.m. on Friday, December 18th for part two of the interview on New Mexico People, Places, and Ideas. We'll have details on Prince's own home and his architectural philosophy. That's December 18th on KUNM, New Mexico's community-powered public radio.